0: welcome podcast listeners to the spheres podcast i'm your host toby carson spheres is a public theology podcast that helps successful people live more philosophically by creating brave spaces of shared meaning each episode features an extended interview with a different athlete scholar educator entrepreneur politician or activist and how they think theologically and live well in society recently i spoke with anna McGahn about creativity the creative process and imagination. We explore creativity in community, the creative process as an element of flow, and the role narratives play in our lives as humans. We recognize that all people are creatives and discuss the creative mandate that exists in each and every one of us and how we find peace in our creative process. Anna is an actor, author, poet, and screenwriter whose work prioritizes a defiant female gaze to explore experiences of embodiment, relationships, motherhood, and spirituality. Her debut book, Metanoia, a memoir of a body born again, was a finalist in the ECPA Christian Book Awards in the US and shortlisted for Australian Book of the Year. Her second book, Skin, a book of blessings for pregnant and birthing women, was released in 2021. She has a feature film, The Ghost Life, which is currently in development, she lives in Jagera and Turbul country in Queensland, Australia. Her husband and her have two daughters. For more information, visit annamagan.com. I hope you find this conversation helpful. Anna, thank you for joining us. I'm intrigued for you as an actor, writer and creative. What does it mean for you to live philosophically?
1: Oh, I feel like I have a response to the word philosophically that, you know, probably isn't entirely healthy or sound. Um,
2: That's okay. That's okay.
1: (laughs) Because because, I think because um, too, I've... The different conversations I've had with um, people that are pursuing philosophy really intently, Mm. I... I always wonder um often they're they're agnostic or atheistic or atheists which I totally respect but I'm I am fascinated like I do get really fascinated by the way um we pursue essentially the boxes that surround God and not
2: mm.
1: pursue what's inside them and so I find mm-hmm. like when I think of living philosophically I'm I'm immediately like well to me there's this absolute integration between living philosophically, theologically, creatively, and within community. Um, they all have to be interwoven. And um, and so when I think of philosophically, I just think, well, mm. I can't claim that. I, I love ideas. I love metaphor, um, and that's probably the key. Yeah, for me, it's to live philosophically, I'm like, well, For me, it's actually finding the links between things in my life and applying symbol and metaphor to them. To me, it's really meaningful and it gives me um, a map and it gives Mm -hmm. me a lot of purpose in the ways that I'm either pursuing to love the people around me or pursuing to love God Um, or to, uh, yeah, participate in my craft.
0: Mm -hmm. And so essentially it sounds like you live with some form of, framework when you uh as you go about your day be it intentionally or subconsciously uh, that there are certain kind of handhold or certain kind of i guess reflective tool that you use that uh, kind of help you to live either intentionally or integrate certain things into your life would you say that that's the case or or like is it more of a flow type thing that you just kind of There are
2: definite
1: rhythms that there's obviously there's a flow, and I've had to learn that I think the hard way. In that you can't decide your life is going to be a particular story or your life Mm. is going to go a certain way. And maybe when I was younger, I thought that that was the case. I was like, I'll live this story, and every choice Mm. I make will then will then turn my life into this, 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 and this. And then you learn that it doesn't work like that. You look at you observe the story in retrospect. You you only get to experience what god has been writing in you later so to a degree i've had to surrender to the flow but at the same time i've learned there are touch points and there are rhythms even in day just you know as an artist as a mother as a partner to my husband as Mm. um you know as a friend all those things only work together if i'm i don't know like fully alive and fully awake and this is how i guess this is this idea of we have to map ourselves um yep. and I, I guess yeah i've i've had to map myself
0: and so how so how do you know uh when anima McGann is fully alive
1: such a good question thanks <laughs> um well i know i can feel it in my body mm-hmm. and it's I think it's something that we all, like, as a society, we're learning that we have to come back to the body. You know, whether it's people in the church or outside of the church, there's this, there's this reconciliation with the body that's taking place, and that's definitely been my experience of like, okay, is this? You know, it's that it's that whole idea. I have you. I don't know if you've ever um, heard the guy speak who wrote the body keeps the score I'm I'm completely forgetting the name of the um of the doctor that wrote it but it is this idea that you know you our bodies know when we're betraying ourselves our bodies know when we've got trauma or um unexpressed emotion um and for me um I'm a very emotional person I'm a very like yeah deep feeling person I can't just Get on with it. And so it's very much this idea like I'm fully alive when, you know, the simple things like eating food and sleeping well, but also when I feel like there's a really lovely balance going on between the professional that I am, um, the nurturer and the mother that I am, and what I have to pour out as a carer, um, and feeling like my kids are seen and you know, getting that reflected back where, you know, like there's where the distance between the love I feel for them and the love they feel is smaller Um, and, you know, and and also feeling like I'm able to be present to the people that need me or the people that I need. Um, And I feel like there's a point, there's like a beautiful point of flow might be the right word um, or just of freedom when those things line up. I think and I'm rambling about it but yeah there's I've had a few experiences and you know sometimes it happens when you wake up like so I've just been in a season of writing um I've had a film that I've been you know I'm on a deadline to write and it's a huge sort of it's been a huge career goal, I guess I'd have to say. Mm. Like, It's been an, an amazing opportunity and one I've had to steward really well mm. because I've worked for many, many years to get that sort of space. So the last three months I've been under contract um, to write a film and at the same time have sort of been in the space of caring for children and moving house and being in a grief season and all these things. And it's been this juggle, I suppose, and I... It's taken me a few weeks, months to realise that there's a sweet spot and, you know, often it it requires getting up at 5am, it requires carving out that space before I start creative writing where I can actually, you know, spend time either with myself or with God, even spend time with one of my babies who might be up at 4am and actually, you know, it's like tend to that garden and doing that then clears something out of the way so that when I sit down at the computer to actually create a new world, which is what screenwriting is, my world, it's not, I'm coming from a place of peace in my world instead of disruption.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's um. this entire time I've been contemplating how, uh kelly and i kelly my wife and i have uh look to always move in peace and joy Mm. and it comes out of romans 14 17 where paul writes you know we need to move in righteousness peace and joy and so peace and joy then become as a visual like the railroad tracks in which we move but that doesn't mean that the work isn't hard and it doesn't mean that the work doesn't, um, you know, take something from you because you can still have joy and it be, like, labor, totally
2: um, costly.
0: Yes. Totally and costly. Yes, and and so I'm really thankful you use the word peace because it, um, and then to link it back to like the body is that, you know, shalom in the Old Testament is this holistic notion of peace, which is peace not only with my neighbor and with God, but with the context I live in, but peace with myself. Yes. So, yes. and so then, this fourfold piece of peace with God, peace with my neighbour, peace with my context, and peace with myself, then becomes this, this movement, this flow, yeah. which uh, I hear you allude to. What is that like being a creative? How do you cultivate that space to move? In, and I don't want to be token here, like, to move in a healthy way, but to move in, move in a way that allows you to cultivate your creative process as well as remain cognizant of the things going on around you.
2: It's a bit
1: of a, you know, she's an elusive mistress, you know, the creative, the creative process. And I'm the first to admit it, that I can't turn it on. It it's one of those things, it's almost like ushering in the presence of God. I and mean, I guess in many ways, there's a Holy Spirit element to it where you can't just be like, Well, I'm just gonna tap into the God frequency now and everything's going to come. It's it's an invitation and you have to wait. Mm-hmm. And yep. I've found that, you know, like spending time with God, there are certain things you can do to help that invitation, I suppose. There is a way to form the space that you work in There's a way to prepare your own heart um, to work. There's a way, there's something mercurial and unpredictable about even engaging with the creative process. And so I've had to learn, so there are times, I can't just work nine to five. Like there are times I'll sit down at the computer and it's not the time. Like if I try and write and I've learned this too, I could write and I will write absolute rubbish like I it's not it it's not it's it's constipated like it just won't <laughs> work yep. and it, and it and you look at it and you're like what 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 will you like what is going on and then there are these other points totally. in time where there's just this overflow of understanding and I don't I don't really like the word inspiration I think understanding is probably better I find I get to these certain points where a certain idea or emotional image really fills me up and I feel like I understand it and then I feel like I have the capability to write about it and it's the only tool I have some people have the ability to do it um, you know with pen uh, pen and paper and, and drawing some people have the ability to communicated in their work in in policy in education and all these different things you know, they've got mm-hmm. teaching gifts all this stuff but for me it's i have to write about it what i tend to do is when i when those moments come i really honor them and, yeah. I, and again similar if if god's in the room you, you stop what you're doing and you honor yeah. it and you go actually like things have to shift because holy spirit's here and it's different yeah um And I I do, you know, I think some people would find this a a strange thought, but I know that artists probably do get it, that the creative process does feel very much God-led and that's not to say that that's God's priority or that it's I like to believe that he's invested in these Mm -hmm. small things that we put our hands to and that even if I'm writing a story that isn't, you know, (laughs) <laughs> even if I'm not writing the next great parable, he's still so invested in the arc of, of um, justice, you know, uh, in, in the, in the redemptive narrative, in the way that we tell stories about ourselves and the way that we t- tell stories about one another, because the way we tell stories about each other and the way we tell stories to each other, it changes us. It changes mm-hmm. our entire society. Um, so I feel very connected and proud of being able to participate in that work, and it's taken me some time to reach that point because I think earlier in my career, possibly when I was mostly just acting, I felt it felt indulgent. It felt silly. It, I lifted ministry as up as the, the ultimate goal. I was like, well, one day I'll do, I'll finish seminary and I'll, I'll do ministry, and you know, the most important thing is ministering to artists. It's not making art. And probably in the last, like, two years, I did, like, a heap of ministry. And don't get me wrong, I actually really enjoyed it. But it was after I wrote a book that was a Christian book. And so I was speaking at churches and doing things. And I came to the end of it and I was like, I actually just need to make art now. And Mm. that is the most important thing I can do for God and for my own soul um, Mm. is... And I've really, I really made a deal with myself to say no to a lot of things that came up and unless it felt right, like for example, speaking with you, I'm like, this feels really right. And just going, I, it's actually more important that I re-enter, I hate this word, but you know, sexual, secular artistry. I, I need to serve and give to that part of the industry. And, and rediscover what I could possibly give as an artist in Christ, mm. in, you know, in that way. Um, and so a lot of my, to answer your original question about sort of flow and that creative process, I, I'm at a, a real point of just entrusting that if I can invite God at every stage, at every millisecond of like, okay, you know, it's 10 p.m. at night. And I probably should be going to bed, but I feel like I've got to write right now because I feel like God and I have something that we need to talk about. I commit to that and I honour that, you know, all the while juggling marriage and babies and, and other work and stuff. But I, to me, it's like, instead of trying to write the next big thing that might convert everybody, going, I'm going to do the minutiae like I'm going to do the tiny moments of God and whatever happens in the bigger, I'm just going to believe that it's infused with who he is and mm. that I'm, yeah, I'm in his will.
0: touched on something which I'm intrigued by. Is there a sacred secular divide or in creativity and in your art as an actor, writer, producer, is everything sacred? Or is there space where something is explicitly secular?
1: I'm, I'm of the belief that anything that isn't propaganda is sacred. But that means that some things that are considered Christian that are propaganda are not sacred. Um, and things that are like extremely it. secular that mm. do not necessarily you know, follow those rules are sacred too. But I, yeah, I feel really strongly that the minute we we move into that space of sellability um, and agenda and um, mm-hmm. advertising um, instead of artistry is is when we we cross that divide. Um, because I I look at Jesus and he was an artist. He was not a marketing guru. He So much of the way we come towards the text, we can make so much sense of that text when we see it as art, as we see it as poetry and storytelling. And I don't mean to demean it and its weight, but I personally have found, discovered a lot more of who Jesus was by um, looking at it less as a press release and more as, you know, looking at those texts as. And even his life as artistry, as, as yeah. public art, like how do we engage with a provocation like that? Because it is so provoking um, and provocative, sorry. So in that, there to me, there is a sort of, there is a divide between what is sacred. And I think I've had different experiences. I think what helped me, well, like not help me, but not to say I've landed in the right place, but what mm-hmm. led me to this place in it, I was heading up a ministry for artists and at the beginning the intention of the ministry was we'll we'll you know we'll create a safe place for artists to worship because i would observed too that a lot of artists weren't really able to be in church sometimes just due to the nature of their rhythms and being a tour of things and so we started to gather in an online like in online spaces about five years ago and then gather um in homes as well and you know people were really hungry and so it grew quite quickly and you know I got really excited and was like this is you know this is where we're moving towards we need to empower artists and I was like and then get the artists back in the church and then we'll we'll get the artists on fire and we'll do this thing what was so fascinating is that at the beginning a lot of professional artists were in those spaces and they felt seen and they felt really safe then as it grew and it grew out of living rooms for example we couldn't fit in the living rooms we moved to a church building the working artists that were still in that difficult I would say space of really needing to juggle their professionalism and their artistry and also where their faith sat and all that they withdrew And a lot of the space, and I still love this and I honour it, but a lot of the space was filled with people that were deeply, deeply planted in church that wanted to move into creativity or wanted to do creativity for Jesus specifically. They wanted to do creativity in church, which is an amazing calling in itself. But it wasn't the initial reason that I had created that group. And it started to become very... How do I put this? It was... It was all church. So instead of us then moving out into the world to Mm. make art in that space, it was all about, it was very internal and all, and very quickly. And again, love, like, love these people. And anyone that was part of this season and is listening, it's incredibly precious. It's just one of these things I've been reflecting on very soon. I no longer had people that weren't believers coming to my home. The only people I had in my life were Christians and Christian artists and my access to the wider industry vanished. And even when people ask me that, they'd be like, so you, what? So what, you, is this for all artists? And I'd have to be like, so it's just for Christian artists. And then realising like we were, you know and you, you, it doesn't take long, and I'm sure you understand this, and Kelly understands this. You guys have been in different forms of ministry, it doesn't take long to realize that when you are trying to meet the needs of Christians in particular, you very quickly put a foot wrong. But that person's not happy with that, that's not Totally. that, yeah. Like, yeah. you don't, you know, you can't please everyone, yeah. There's, you know, there are expectations, why aren't you pastoring me better? And I was like, ah, just wanted to gather my friends <laughs> um and <laughs> you learn like wow this is this is a whole other thing yeah and um and very quickly we no one i was observing it like no one was moving no one was cutting through into those professional spaces, yeah. spaces. and it in me because i was like my whole intention was to empower these artists not just to be really really good christians but to be really really good artists that felt confident and free to do that. yeah. Um, and so it's, it, then it led to a deeper learning, I suppose, on, okay, how do we make art from this space? Like, how do we not compromise our faith? How do we go into yep. these workspaces and not feel like we actually need to leave it behind in order to be it, but also we need to create safe spaces where these these artists don't feel like they have to only work with Christians or only make Christian work or avoid criticism. This is the thing, it, it, these artists were getting strangled by the fact that if they put a single swear word in, if they kissed somebody on screen, if they, you know. If they didn't have an, an, an absolutely solid theological base to everything that they wrote or did or made or, or whatever, or they chose to make secular music and secular, you know, in inverted gommas instead of worship music, yeah, that yeah. they were heretical and that they were, um, they'd somehow sold out. I internally had to shift that narrative and go, like, All right, art simply for the sake of making art, not with an agenda, should be just as sacred
0: how do we get there yeah
2: so
0: (laughs) you mentioned a number of things and i'm going to try and pass them out because because they're all uniquely important you mentioned creating safe spaces Mm. part of what this podcast is about is it's trying to hear from people such as you in in your own sphere of life not about safe spaces but about cultivating brave spaces for shared yeah. So moving people from merely feeling safe, moving people to being brave. So still courageous in the face of uh, criticism, in in the face of uh, people calling them a heretic, so on and so forth. Is it a human thing or is it, and I don't like using this phrase, but we're going to unpack this soon as well, or is it a creative thing only? Is it human, is it creative, or somewhat is it both? And what is different about creatives being in brave spaces compared to just the everyday person?
2: Well,
1: and this sort of taps into something you and I flagged at the very beginning before we started recording. You can't separate creative and human. You can't do that. They they are completely interlinked. Yes. Um, we're all wired that way in a dna not even just in a theological sense in a dna sense like both of those things together we yep. scientifically just entirely creative beings there's something inherently creative about courage and bravery and making authentic or risky sacrificial choices but also about speaking up i suspect and so the way I'll discern between them is I'll say the artists rather than creatives. That's good. Artists aren't some sort of, you know, refined superhuman version of the average person. Like they're just, and I think this is where we like, sometimes we elevate artists as if they are, they're above morality or they're above um, responsibility or they're above accountability. Uh-huh. or they're just above us and I don't think that's true. I think we have, you know, fallen into a bit of a cult of celebrity um, in many different factions, like factions of life um, and art is just one of them. But the interesting part of artists, the part of artistry and, and, and the way artists live, I suppose, is that there is a lateral thinking. There's a an intentional and also inevitable push to move away from conformity um and and move into how do we tell this story in a new way again Mm. um so sometimes i think in life we the very the very nature of us we we work in a factory like okay for example this church we've made this small group let's make seven more small groups exactly the same set let's make sure the same teaching is going out to all of them we're in a factory let's make um the same box of biscuits and we'll repeat the pattern um, because we're going to give people exactly what they expect. Whereas I think in art, you're doing the, you like, well, how can I give you something that you don't expect? How can I give you this piece of information or this emotion or this experience in a way that you haven't had it before? Mm-hmm. And we, as a society, we, re- we, art should not be, in my opinion, you know, the lofty sort of when you've got, a, you know, a BA, a, a BFA, um, Bachelor of Fine Art, then you can understand it. Like art is watching whatever is on television. Art is what we see when we walk down the street. It's the architecture. It's even the advertising sometimes. Yep. You know, it's we're entire, We're engaged with it all the time and we participate in it. We, we rewrite our own stories due to art. So artists are really like, rather than being lifted, they're sort of on the ground doing some of that work of like, where are we going as a society? How are we understanding ourselves? What are we um, doing? And I would argue when you don't have brave spaces, when you don't have brave artists, you end up with advertising. You end up with artists that have sold out. Um, You end up with reality television, um, which can't, don't get me wrong, can be really creative, can be really provocative and interesting, but often is just a replication it's the same like when you think about massive movie studios they now will often just make a film they will remake old films they will remake the lion king Mm -hmm. um, because they know it will sell Um, they make a, a sequel of a film they know because they know it will sell they invest in a particular recording artist because they know that person will sell and I think what is really brave is when we actually put our time and our energy into something that we do not know whether or not it will sell or whether it will succeed. We just know it's true or that it's beautiful. That's a really risky place for us as artists because we need to eat. (laughs) We're holding that tension. And I think and artists and then creatives and humans alike, how do you start something new? How do you start a podcast and a new type of conversation and make new ground? You don't know if it's going to sell. You don't know if it, but the point is it can't be that. And then you step into this beautiful space, which I think is really sacred and godly of absolute faith of going, my job is to show up and be honest. My job is to show up and be be excellent and put in hard work and to honour. Um, whatever God wants to do with that on the other side is none of my business.
0: So why then, and I'm going to generalise because I think when we generalise first, then we can kind of whittle ourselves down to what we're trying to say. You created Fireplace, that was the name of the space for artists who are Christian. You then also mentioned that it ended up being church in a way. Yeah. You then also mentioned that in a way that a lot of artists, whether it's due to their calendar, whether they're on tour, whether they're filming anything, find it hard to remain in those church spaces in community. Is it too general for us to say that artists, not creatives, because everyone is a creative, but artists, that the church isn't really conducive for the artist because of the lack of creativity? Would that be a fair critique or... Is there something else? And if so, in in your experience and from what you've kind of navigated, what could be those something, those other items or other possibilities?
1: It's a really good question, Toby. I don't think I fully, I feel like I'm probably only in a, I'm probably in a unique position to answer this at the moment because up until, you know, COVID, I was planted in church really consistently and was very, I was just very much of the belief that you need to be, you know, like you have to be planted, you have to be planted, it's the safest place, it's the, the strongest place to be, it offers so much. And so I was a really big advocate for artists that came through that I met. I was like, okay, we've got to point them to church, we've got to make sure that, you know, and, and there's no doubt, community is really key but community is different to the institution of church yeah. and I don't I don't think I saw the fullest picture of that and maybe still don't but I used to think that the reason that they you know and, and I remember being asked this question um, by a, a Sydney Anglican minister and he was des- he was like how what can we do? How can we? make them feel welcome how do we make them stay like and a lot of artists were like oh i just don't want you to use me i don't want you to just make me do the easter show or and, the and i i get that although i actually think that some churches and you know for example hillsong utilizes its artists activates and empowers its artists in a very particular way that is fantastic for them
0: but only a certain type of artist
1: to- totally totally yeah no i agree only a certain type but i don't think it's all i don't think he, using the artist in that way is necessarily the problem i think i think it's not as a surface level as do i get to do my art in church do people understand my art in church i think there's actually it's a wiring thing and it comes down to i was talking to somebody about this recently it comes down to the way that we communicate ideas and the way that we expect people to form thought um I've been not in church for the last 12 months. I was attending a, um, a house church, which was, I suppose, more of a, and it was weekly, but I suppose yeah. it was more of a small group structure. Um, and obviously at the beginning was doing a bit of online because it was, you know, um, it was locked down, all those different things. But but really, and if Jono and I, my husband, we were honest with ourselves, we weren't in church. Um, We had two very young children. I just had a a baby the first day of lockdown. Um, So I was like in this sense of it was a very particular kind of isolation, I suppose you could say. It was really positive in a lot of ways. And then when we started to sort of try and work our way back into more structured institutional church gatherings, what i observed was it wasn't that they lacked creativity in regards to getting actors and musicians and other people up on the stage that's not actually the desire it was that the way that thoughts were formed the way that teaching was given the way that even the structure of the service was it was it was that idea to use that metaphor i guess again of the of the factory it was we're going to do this the same way. There's no flexibility. If you don't agree with what is being said up the front, there's no flexibility. There's objective truth yeah, and there's objective sin and there's objective this. And it's not that all artists are liberal progressives that require a complete deconstruction. That's actually not the case at all. Some of the most conservative or, you know, deeply um committed sort of conservative believers I know are artists as well it's allowing for a creativity and a um, flexibility in how we provoke thought how we provoke reflection on the word of God how we gather like even as a parent church started church became impossible unless I wanted to do things in in a very particular way I didn't actually have the freedom to attend and to hear and to worship in those in those ways and so what I realized is that the way that as we was moving as a family was as a family of artists because my husband and I are both artists and our you know kids are just gonna (laughs) raise that environment you know the very nature of that thinking is you find your way through in a creative way so we found different weird ways to worship we found the right rhythms in which we could worship in the way that our family required. We we also we needed to find, I suppose, what you could call that brave place where it goes, am I allowed to worship in this way or pray in this way or read the word in this way? If no one has told me this is what you're allowed to do, or rather, this is what we would like you to do, A, B, C, and D. It's not a rebellion, it's a creative troubleshooting problem solving way through relationship with God and in when I look back now at a lot of the artists that I saw at not planted in church that was I think more of all what they were missing and, and why they needed to retreat was they couldn't just believe they couldn't just be spoon fed and told yeah. this is what you need to believe. They yeah. needed to have freedom and flexibility to creatively make their way through the word and be empowered to do so. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be led because I think leadership's different to that.
0: Yeah. But that would
1: be my thought on it.
0: Yeah. And it seems like what you're saying is that artists in this case couldn't show up fully. Totally. As their full selves. Yeah. And so they were used to. Um,
1: Well, so same idea of, like, you can show up, but the whole point of you showing up is you changing. Like, you can show up with all your stuff, and the assumption is that it's sin, but it's not always sin. It's eccentricities or,
2: you know, um, or
1: different types of processes. Yeah, yeah, or different types of clothing. And the idea is, ah, you know, like, we tick, 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 we accept you because that's what Jesus would do, but we
2: don't.
0: Yeah, Um, because the nature of church essentially a conforming community doesn't allow for brave spaces of creativity mm-hmm. and the way that the cadence kind of moves in, you know, when we talk about church, we're actually really talking about a service. We're not really talking about a community fully. Um, yeah. If you know, just to be, explicit is that it moves away from what we see in even what you might are doing now in this wrestle creatively navigate complex spaces to go actually how do i show up fully
2: yes
0: what do i need to contribute
2: yeah
0: how do i need to be generous but also what do i need to give up yeah it then kind of has us moved to like what's, what's like really, really funny is that we, we aren't even up to question two yet. So um, I'm gonna pre- I'm going to preempt this Anna by saying that I'm looking forward to having you back on the podcast to talk about other things because I'm intrigued by your space and your experience as an artist, being in front of and behind the camera, being a writer, being on stage, But also being a Christian, how do you kind of process or move in your creative process? We've touched on it a little bit, but um, do you have like a formula or is it more responsive to, oh, it's 10 p.m. at night, I need to now write? Could you unpack Anna McGarn's creative process?
2: Totally.
1: It's it's a hot mess it's not um it's 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 a bit wild so it um I have developed a creative process I think that is a lot deeper since I became a believer I became a believer well maybe nine years ago now Mm -hmm. and before that my creativity was quite um reactive it was quite uh, aggressive, I suppose, in many ways. Like it was angry, um, mm-hmm. and it was, it was almost a weapon, um, and not always in a in a violent sense. It was just I I, I brandished it, you know. I was like, "I gonna yeah. use this thing to get my way through," and and I'll I'll do what it takes. Um, and even if it costs me my peace, even if it costs me my dignity, even if it, you know. <laughs> And there was a real pressure on it to always win, always be really good. Now I'm, I'm, I am i am have not fully lost that. I do, I do like to win. I do like to make good work. Like I'm not gonna, I can't pretend I'm some saint that I'm not. I still yeah. have like, I'm a, an Enneagram Four Wing Three, and the Three is strong in this one.
2: I'm a but Three. I'm a yeah, Three. Yeah, you know it. Yeah,
1: you know it. And so it's not all bad. But I had to learn how to fail. And I remember, you know what, I remember, and this is part of this answer, I promise you, this is actually a lot of part of my process, but I remember having a conversation with you once when we were both living in America. And you turned to me and you said, Anna, everything you sort of reflect on, the way you talk about your life and about God, it's always, it's always victorious. And at the time, I was like, why are you frowning? This is a compliment. This is a great thing. And you weren't, like, frowning at me. You weren't criticizing me. You just made this reflection. And it, I've reflected on that, Toby, for years. Really? Because, yes, Where were we? Where were we? We were at your house at Fuller Seminary. Yep. Okay. And we just had church. And I was probably telling you another testimony of how I'd been healed. Or, and, I, you know, I, at the time where I was at life, the shoulder of like yeah the shoulder like I experienced all these miracles and I really believe in miracles I really do and I still do but my you know you have to go through those different seasons that was my miracle season and then you have lost seasons too you have seasons where the miracle doesn't happen and you have to Mm -hmm. rewrite it all right and I remember at the time being like of course it's victorious because I look for the positive and I know that God is good and God will always be good to me and God will always give me my testimony and I'm going to write all about my testimony. It took me a while, a real, like actually quite a while, to get to a point of going, yeah, victory is not the only thing, is it? Like that's actually not the only goal. And when it comes to living and worshipping, but also when it comes to making process is so essential and lamentation is so essential and actually being broken is so essential. And so I I, I focus on my writing work as a creative mm. process because those things are a little different. But that has really evolved over time, I suppose, whereas mm. at the beginning there was always this focus on, I will write something that's either solely for the glory of God or is going to sell, 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 sell in an industry setting and boom, you know, we've made it. And I realised that I could only authentically exist in the middle um, where I was truly writing about God when I knew, knew I needed to but also telling the stories that actually tapped into not what I thought everybody wanted to read and that would would win, but the things that I know I was experiencing or or hurting with or, or wrestling with or had no answers to. Yeah. And actually the, the question marks were way more interesting. And so I've, I used to wait until I'd landed on a victory to write about things, and I now... I now know to start writing when I have a question. And so often it will come, it will like, I have to admit, I still like, I hear the voice of God sometimes quite clearly. And so when I do have a moment with him and he sort of, sometimes he's very directional with me and and will essentially invite me into writing about a particular topic, and often I'll start at that place and go, I don't think I want to write about
2: that. <laughs>
1: I don't I'm not, That seems a bit too painful. Um, well, that seems a little bit, you know, when I wrote Metanoia, it was a direct invitation from the Lord. And at the time I was really keen to do it. Like I was like, well, what an honor. I'm going to write my testimony. What a great time. And it was the most excruciating, painful and healing experience. Like, It was like being invited to go to war, and you had, and you're like, great, it's a party. And you woke up and you're like, oh, wow, I, you really were just asking me to heal and reconcile with people. And yeah, wow. Um, And so when he does invite me, it's not always, I don't always now, I know, like, I don't, I know it's not always this sort of like, oh, off we go. Great, another, it's this sort of, provocation from the lord again to go like go to that that room hurts so i would like you to go into it and i feel like that's part of the call and that's part of the the joy and the burden of being given a um a platform or an opportunity or a or even even just the gift of time to do something like right yeah. is going where well, i have to show up honestly um so w- when it comes to my process i I carve out time really intentionally, unless, I, unless I'm on the run and I just have to, like, write notes down quickly because they go from my mind really quickly. I don't yep. obtain things. I'll, like, write heaps of things down on different bits and, piece, piece and pieces, but I'll often, like, I know I have to get myself in a really receptive place, and so I'll, you know, in a practical way, I'll I'll make sure my girls are cared for. I'll make sure I can't write with them there because they it's like a battle between the computer and the baby it's like i will vanquish the computer um they just they just they come in like beat the door down they're like like, i'll get it so i organize them somewhere and i make tea and i like light the space it has to be lit and Mm -hmm. i have it has almost like prayer like i have to come to this space and then i usually write by hand um because that's how god can really like talk to me and usually I'll talk to him about it first I'll be like what do what it like and I'll sort of show up and be like this is where I'm at like you want me to write about this topic and I feel you know there's project that I've been working on for quite a while that has a lot of deconstruction and grief elements in it I don't really identify someone that has deconstructed but it's a story that I really wanted to tell that it's, it's a fictional story about Yeah, it involves a few other elements. And um, it's a really difficult one because there are parts of it that now are aligning with my life in strange ways. And so if I I start working on that one, I have to come to him first and just be like, I'm here and I feel really angry at this person and I feel really frustrated and I lay it all out to basically ensure that it isn't just getting funneled into the project Mm -hmm. because there's stuff that's just my stuff that I need to get out of the way before I write the fiction, it isn't just this process of I've got feelings, I'll make them into art. Mm. I've got feelings, I need to feel those feelings, get those feelings dealt with, get them, you know, journaled or exercised or as in like running exercise, not not demon exercise, but but also exercising the demons. Um, Get it out and then... And then there's this clean blank slate of my heart that I can then go to this other work and, and imagine and create. And I think there's a real difference from when, when I was a lot younger, I just, I did not, I only made work that was fueled by my own anger or my own grief or my own joy. Like it was all my emotions. Whereas I've learned how to use my imagination with God and that's changed a lot. And so I'll, yeah, I have to write to music, and the music is almost like a sort of like little river that carries me through, that allows me to get into a flow so that I, I don't break out. I continue on that theme and on that rhythm. It helps like me get a bit of a, a cadence to it. It's hard to explain.
0: What are some examples of uh, the type of music that you listen to? Like, is it, it-
1: depends on the project. So like. It really, like, it's not, there are times where, like, for example, if I'm shouting to God, you know, I'll just put certain worship music on that I respond
2: to. Yep.
1: When I'm writing, I had a really specific playlist for Metanoia, for example, and a lot of the music that was on it, some of it just spoke. Like, it helped. It was almost like the music I could dance to. It, it's music I sensorially responded to, but, oh. also, but it was also music that I listened to. So Metanoia for example, is a memoir and it is a memoir of me meeting God after, you know, a lifetime of not knowing him. It's it's not your usual type of memoir, I suppose, in a way and that it attempted to craft it in such a way that it was um, sort of a little bit more literary and I didn't just, it wasn't like, and I was born here and then this happened and this happened, it, we sort of duck in and out of Yep. Certain scenes and parts of my life, and so I needed to re-enter those moments briefly, and not feel the overwhelming urge to tell everything, just to tell that one sliver. Yep. And so a lot of the music helped me go back there,
2: mm-hmm. if
1: just for a moment. But then some of the music helped me come out of it as mm-hmm. well. Um, and so I needed to, I needed to write on things that kept me there long enough to get the words out. With what I'm writing at the moment, I'm writing a fictional film about theatres and ghosts and Mm. it's very fun and it's very you know spooky and very different like it's got a really different it's got a very feminist energy it's very um it's very proud and very complex and so a lot of the music I listen to is hip-hop it's like it's it sounds like or it's like it's very um, like FKA twigs and things like that, like just really vicious and like some of it's a bit angry, but some of it's really um, proud as well. Like it's music that can, that takes me away. It helps me create a world that is not just Anna because Anna on her own is boring, but opens up the whole spectrum of like what, The female experiences. So I have a playlist. I have two playlists for that one. Depending on the act of the film too, because you're doing such a big arc, I have different ones depending what plot points I'm dealing with.
0: (laughs) I laugh. I laugh because whenever I write, and I've actually found this whenever I go train now as well that I get into my flow when I listen to Scandinavian ethereal music. Really? Yeah. So. That's my flow. Kelly, on the other hand, my wife, it's like third eye blind, Green Day. She was this uh, Pacific Northwest punk rocker who, you know, in the early 2000s had the fringe across her eyes and, you know, I'm elaborating a little bit. Um,
2: This is amazing.
0: But What I'm conscious of is and excited about too is you wrote a book And I would like to spend a different episode on the book because it speaks to so many different things. So you said you're doing a stage play for the next three months. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I finished writing this film, which is sort of ideally going to one of the, um, to SBS, which is one of the um, networks here in Australia. Um, But, excuse me, but then I start a stage play the same week that I finish it. which is really
2: exciting. I start some Shakespeare.
0: So either if we're able to find a window during that time or after it's done, I want to have you back to talk about Metanoia because specifically about the creative process and to wrap up here because we've been, you know, we've always been talking for an hour, which is is great, which is great because it means that basically you and I just uh, picked up life and carried on from when we were in the same space and place. But I'm intrigued as an artist, and this will be the last question, so how does the creative process for you as an artist and a follower of Jesus speak into not only your personal imagination, but also your social imagination?
1: The big, like, the only way I feel I can answer this is that it brings An element of hope and I feel like when you have grown up in the church that's a no-brainer but as somebody I guess that didn't it wasn't an option hope is not an automatic option it's it's not we're not actually innately wired without knowing Christ or being in Christ to go there's still hope in this circumstance there's still hope in this narrative and I don't mean like blindly hoping that you'll get the role or blindly hoping that yeah. the the story will get picked up by the thing. It's like the very way I construct narrative now, the way that I've decided to tell story or I feel like inclined to tell story, leaving it in devastation is just not an option because and, and it's not just hope, it's justice too, right? We are compelled by the hope of justice, the hope of glory, all of these Mm -hmm. elements that the gospel offer us as the final word has been spoken and it's good. And that really shifts the way, if you pivot a story around tragedy, you tell that story again and again and again. People live at that story because they expect that story again and again Uh and again. You don't see change. You see the same stories getting told. You see them getting lived. Um, You see them getting perpetrated once Uh more. Um, It's not that people that are being victimised are choosing to be victimised. People are choosing to perpetrate oppression again and again and again. But there's so much power, prophetic power, but just like straight-up creative power, and maybe they're very similar things, um, to rewrite that and to Mm -hmm. it's it's the escape route and I think it's changed the way I see everything socially it's changed the way that I that I engage in my relationships with my family relationships with my partner with my children going okay where where is the justice where is the hope how does this and not just How can I change this arc? But where can I recognise God doing small things that eventually one day I'll look back and I'll see that arc changed? Um, There's this amazing story, and I'm going to possibly butcher this, so whoever knows of this story, please bear with me, and I'll try and repeat it for my my friends that shared it with me. This is um, from an essay that was written by my friend Claudia Webb. In the introduction of Relating Narratives, Cabarrero calls upon Karen Blixen's memoir, Out of Africa, to illustrate an idea. Blixen tells the story of a man who, upon hearing a noise, goes out into the night. Running up and down in the darkness, he finally uncovers the source of the commotion, fixes it, and returns to bed. When morning comes, he looks out the window, discovering that his movements in the night have traced the image of a stork. This fable is a metaphor for storytelling for its ability to look upon disparate events and create unity and meaning. But note, the man did not set out to trace a stalk with his footsteps. The design was unforeseeable. In referencing this story, Cavarero is urging against narrative control, suggesting that to plan one's own life as though it were a story, to make it conform to an idea, to live it like a novel, is merely an error. And I feel Mm. so resonant
2: with that. Yeah
1: because I think I've fallen into the trap before. But now there's a freedom and an invitation of going, I cannot. I cannot know what's being created as I run around in the darkness, and I Mm -hmm. am running around in the darkness. I'm not the author. Um, But the picture that will be created from running around in the darkness, it may not be victorious, but it will be hope-filled and it will be glory-filled um and I think that that's a very very important part of creative Christian artistic process is that we have to sit in that space as my life is art that I'm not creating but Mm. I can take those lessons into what I put my hands to and I can impart I can impart new ways of looking at story to the world around me.
0: That's good. And I am looking forward to part two whenever that is, but it will be soon. And thank you for your time. It's
2: great. (laughs) Thank you so much, Toby.